Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. Today's show is around a couple different things, but we go to all sorts of places that I didn't expect we'd go. Uh, you're going to hear about a new film, and you're going to hear about what you can do with your money, and you're going to hear about a bunch of different habits you can, you can follow, uh, actually a hundred of them, although we don't go through a hundred in the show. Uh, that can change your life and sort of a structured way to do that. So this show is sprinkled with just cool stories throughout and it's worth the time to listen through to the very end. And if you listen through, you'll actually hear an uh, incredibly off the wall conversation about orgasm and ejaculation that I absolutely did not plan to include here. And no, it's not dirty, but it's all about spiritual awareness. So check it out. Uh, You will not believe the number of things that we get to in this episode. It's a lot of fun. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash dave for a seven-day free trial. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is my absolute favorite kind of cool fact because Spanish scientists conducted a 10-year study with about 20,000 participants, and they found some bad news. Higher coffee consumption in the study was associated with a lower risk of early death. It's an observational study. It suggests that coffee can be part of a healthy diet for healthy people. And they found that participants who had at least four cups of coffee per day had a, get this, 64% lower risk of all-cause mortality than those who never or almost never consumed coffee. Now, you can't use a study like this to say coffee does anything. But what you can you can draw as a conclusion from this is that the coolest people drink coffee. And that, that's really what this comes to. Not really. It, it may be that people who are already healthier just choose to drink coffee. Uh, there can be some self-selection bias and they're not saying why. And in Headstrong, I read about some of the interesting compounds in coffee that aren't caffeine, uh, both the good ones and the bad ones and talked about those. But this is the largest number I've seen. Like 64% lower risk is kind of cool. It's also though, a bit of a a medical trickery that they use in studies because if the risk of all-cause mortality was, you know, one in a thousand, well, 64% lower risk is a very small change. So what this says, to me at least, is that if you like coffee, um, well, it's probably okay to drink it. (laughs) And if you come across one of those uh, ancient studies that was usually funded by a company selling a burned grain product to try and compete with coffee that says, you know, coffee stunts your growth, uh, you know, causes all sorts of problems. Well, I haven't really seen a preponderance of evidence of that either. So I, I'm going to stick with my coffee habit. And this was a really cool and an interesting study just because when you see 20,000 people over 10 years, 
you'll come across stuff that you wouldn't expect. And they were drinking uh, European coffee. There are standards in Spain for mold toxins in coffee that are not present in the US. So who knows, your mileage might be different here if you're drinking uh, whatever you come across every single day. And speaking of coffee, before we get into today's show, you might not know this, but we actually have three different kinds of roasts. The original Bulletproof Coffee Roast is a medium roast, and it's called the original roast. It's a very original name there. And we came out with The Mentalist, which is a medium dark, and it's currently my favorite roast. I'm playing around with it a lot now. And we have something called French Kick, which is a dark roast. We work with one of the top coffee tasters on earth, a guy who trains the judges for the coffee cup of excellence in order to dial in these roasts exactly the way we wanted them. And I told him, dark coffee, seriously, dark roast coffee is just, it's never good. You just have to hide the flavor of bad coffee. And, and he said, Dave, I swear to you, it's possible to have dark roast coffee that's good. And he proved me wrong when I said he, that it was impossible. So our French kick is the, it, it's actually dark roast that I like. So if you haven't tried them, we have a three roast bulletproof coffee variety pack. So you can get all three and see which one you like best. All of them are the certified clean coffee that we've lab tested for 27 performance robbing toxins. They're all single grown at high altitudes, Rainforest Alliance certified, and of course, it's fresh. So if you haven't tried all three, you might find that you like one more than the other, and they all make you feel good, which is what it's all about. Head on over to Bulletproof.com to check it out. All right, on to the show today. If you're a longtime listener of Bulletproof Radio, you might recognize today's guest. His name is Pedram Shojai. And he's been on a few times before. And this is because, Pedram, in addition to being a friend, he's just an interesting guy. He's an ordained priest from the Yellow Dragon Monastery in China, an acclaimed Qigong master, a master herbalist, and a doctor of oriental medicine, who also studied biology at UCLA, and then went out and had this series of profound mystical experiences that drew him towards this more Eastern approach. So you'll find that he brings this Eastern thinking and practices to people in the West, you probably heard me talking about his New York Times bestselling book, The Urban Monk. He's the founder of well.org and has made a couple documentaries. Today, we're going to talk about two things he's done. One is called The Art of Stopping Time, a brand new book that talks about how to transform your relationship with time. And this is something that's been very important to me because if you are stressed by your calendar or by the way you interact with time, uh, it actually takes a lot of energy from you. And so this is something you can do as a performance upgrade. And then we're also going to talk about one of Pedram's other projects because he's a good guy and he's just connected to what's happening in the world around him, his documentary Prosperity, which is around how to build companies and invest in ways that support people and support the planet and just do it with consciousness versus I'm, I'm going to make a lot of money right now and who cares what the long-term costs are. So these are, are two very different topics but they're both top of mind for me, and I think they'll be interesting for you as well. So, Pedram, welcome back to Bulletproof Radio. Dave, always great to be with you. Always great to be here. Let's talk about stopping time. We have exactly 48 minutes left on this episode. Okay, not really. But what's up <laughs> with stopping time? It's kind of a big claim and a little bit uh, a little bit woo-woo, to be perfectly honest. So what does stopping time mean? Yeah, well, you know, time, time is constantly the thing everyone I know in the modern world are complaining about not having. It's a scarce resource. We will oftentimes trade uh, our money or our energy for time. And in that trade, uh, whether or not it works out for us, um, you know, one of these 
vital resources is always going to be in deficit. Most people are stressed because they're living in compressed time, right? Which is, I got too much stuff to do in too little time and um, I'm now wound up, right? And so, uh, you know, what what's the answer to that? You know, um, there are a lot of ways of, you know, kind of optimizing and hacking. That's why you and I are such good friends. As a, you know, actually listening to your uh, coffee study and it's like, you know, maybe they're 64% uh, healthier because they have energy to feel like working out. Maybe they have energy to like, you know, do things in life and, you know, go, go for self care. Right. And so, you know, these, these are all factors in this understanding of time. Um, but it's one of these things that we just don't really think about enough. So yeah, I mean, you can become excellent at time and event management, uh, and stack on more and more, but to what avail, right? And so for me, this is, it's kind of a broader conversation of saying, look, if you had room in your life for say five things mm-hmm. that are really important to you, your health, your, um, your family, your career, a couple other things, what would they be? Um, and then how much time, energy, uh, and money really, um, in the form of, let's just call water, do you need to allocate to these things? And how much do you have available and are any of these plants already withering uh, and then looking at that, then you basically can frame that and be like, look, this is what I said is important to me and all this other stuff, you know, these are weeds, right? And I need, I need to get way better at curating what I allow in my day and become much better at saying no to things because, you know, look, I used, I used to teach Qigong and meditation, you know, thousands and thousands of people. I still do. But, you know, there's no amount of Qigong energy work, yoga, standing on your head that I can teach you that's going to help you if you have terrible boundaries with time and right. you say yes to everything. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Um, and I'm happy to just unpack it, you know, over our time here together, because it's, you know, it's something that we don't think about enough and we're frivolous with, which puts us into a lot of trouble. Uh, So this comes down to managing FOMO, that fear of missing out, or is there more to it than that? There's more to it than that. I mean, look, if, if I'm, you know, I got plans to go to the gym and then go have dinner with my family tonight. And those are two big flowers in my life. And then my buddy Dave Asprey texts me and is like, yo, I happen to be in LA. You want, you want to meet me for, you know, uh, coffee. <laughs> imagine <laughs> right? that. And, 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 you know, I'm like, imagine that. Right. And I'm like, oh man, Dave's here. And, and I, and I jump and I say yes. Um, which I'd be inclined to do cause I love Dave Asprey. Uh, what I just did implicitly is say no to my exercise and say no to my family time. Right. And there, and that, that bill is going to come due. Right. And so there's a lot of kind of yes and no management that goes in that. And there's also just the ability to understand that, you know, your perception of time varies. And so, you know, if you're having a really good day and your time, you know, your sense of time feels one way versus another where it's just like, you know, either I don't know what the heck happened to the time today or this day seems to be dragging on. So, you know, look, your, your watch is still doing the same thing right? It's ticking at the same click. The sun is, you know, the sun is up there and the earth is spinning at the same, you know, kind of velocity, but our perception of time changes. And that to me, that's where I, you know, kind of kick it old school and go to the Eastern stuff is, you know, that's just your ability to tap into your consciousness and understand that there are states of being, and you know, from all your 40 years of Zen and all the stuff that you've done that take you to Mm -hmm. a timeless place. And when you can tap into that timeless place, then you are back on the perch. You are in the driver's seat and you get to control your experience of life in a way that doesn't feel like you're tumbling down the whitewater. All right. So if I'm listening to the show right now, these are some big claims, but how do you actually do this? And I know that this is in your book, but just walk people listening 
today. Just walk them through how how do you how do you do the math on that, or, or what are the actions you take in order to free up some of this time, or just to have less stress about it? Yep, yep. Uh, and I, I'll preface this by saying we just did an independent third party panel. Um, we gave uh, seventy people uh, half the book and ran them through it for fifty days, and. Um, I have actual results back from from what people have gotten out of it. And so we've quantified it because I wanted to see if there's a time ROI that comes out of this stuff. And so and I'm happy to share that with you. But look, your perception of time is very much related to where your blood flow is to. Like if you're coming out of the amygdala and you are in a stressful state, um, what's happening is the the rest and digest circuitry is shut off. And also the prefrontal cortex is shut off. So you're not getting enough blood flow to the parts of your brain that are in charge of negation of impulses, higher moral reasoning, and basically all that yummy serotonergic stuff that makes us feel happy. And you're in a reactive place. And in that reactive place, you know, you miss, you miss your exit. You know, you, you miss one point on the email. Now there's three emails in a chain trying to clarify what the heck you were trying to say. You, um, we're thinking about the three other open windows you had while you were supposed to be working on the one thing you were supposed to be working on. And so you're not here. You're not present. You're not focused. You're not engaged. And because of that, you are not optimizing your experience of life in time right here and right now. And so being able to just stop and do the one thing that you're doing. I and mean, we all know multitasking sucks, right? But do one thing while, while, while you're doing it, stay focused on that one thing, finish it, move off. Plan in breaks the way that it would help you reset and recharge. Uh, go into deceleration rituals in the evening and really kind of hack into the biorhythms um, that are kind of intrinsically laid out for you through your, through your cellular biology. And use all of these things to optimize your sleep, optimize your, your go time, and take breaks in between. These are all strategies that, you know, we know work, but building them in into micro habits is really where I kind of turn the corner after the urban monk. And I'm like, man, you know, people just, people just need bite-sized chunks. So it's like today, this is what we do. That's it. Today, all I want you to walk around doing is smile at other people and see what that does. Right. And, and, you know, it could be as simple as that. And so it starts to elicit new patterns and new behaviors that allow you to live in time more, more, more in the present and more engaged. And when you do so, you can tell the difference with everything you do. And you see this with peak performers all the time, right? Like it's, it all, it all kind of gets Zen. Once, once you start swimming upstream, it's all pretty Zen, right? Like either you're in that zone, you're in a flow state or, or frankly, you're just less efficient. So you're, uh, we get to hang out a good amount of time at, at conferences, uh, things like JJ Virgin's events and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so we've talked over dinner more than a few times and you're the first guy to talk to me about a gong. And I'm pretty knowledgeable in my Eastern stuff and trips to Tibet and China and stuff like that. But what the heck is a gong? And no, I don't mean the gong show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, walk me or through that because that's part of the main uh, part, part of, of what actually I just called the main part of your book. Yeah. So I started doing gongs 25, maybe 30 years ago now. Um, and originally, so, so the word gong is your work, right? And so qigong means energy work. Gong fu is kung fu, hard work, right? And so the gong that you set out in front of you can be whatever you choose. You could say, look, I'm going to do a hundred push-ups a day. That's my gong. And if I miss a day, I start over. 
And it becomes your, your dedicated act of self-care for the day. And you assemble the rest of the day around it so that you don't leave yourself out of the equation. And so the way I structured the book is every day is a different gong. Every day is just a little kind of walk through the park of life. And, you know, it could be something with your interpersonal relationships. It could be opening up your phone and seeing if you've actually scheduled, you know, your workouts and your, your downtime in your calendar. Cause if it's not there, when is it going to happen? Right. And some of it could be just sitting, sitting down and breathing to your lower abdomen. And so what I've done is I've done a hundred different gongs for my readers in this book to just take a sampling of all these cool things that could be helpful. Right. And you know what, if 10 of them stick, if 20 of them stick after you run through it, your life has fundamentally transformed because really it's just these little micro habits, this little behavioral stuff that we can do that makes everything better. And you know, one of the things that I do is like, I I always treat people as if they're broke, right? It's like, wait a minute, you're going to write a 350 page book about maximizing time. I don't have time to read that. Right. (laughs) Like I, right. And and, and so basically what I did is I said, you know what, what's the best way to do this? I have a hundred little one to two page chapters, which is less than five minutes of commitment a day just to read something. And then you're going to find something you're already doing in your life in that day and try to do it a little differently. So what we're doing is I'm not trying to take, you know, time out of someone's pocket. I'm trying to find you some spare time and then maybe suggest that all these things that you've been wanting to do for yourself, eh, you could reallocate it there if you like. All right. I, I'm a huge fan of, of that that perspective that says, like, if you don't schedule uh, time for things that matter, it automatically gets gets taken up. And people who listen to the show a lot probably hear me talk about how I drop my kids off at school uh, when I'm home. And like, that's a commitment I've made. And how I have a half hour of, of you know personal upgrade time scheduled every morning uh, before I get uh, before I get on the phone, even before I take my phone out of airplane mode. Uh, so literally, you can't reach me until my kids are at school. And sorry, you know if if, if it's really that big of a deal, I'm sure someone will come to my house. <laughs> I live on an island; they'll have to really want to yeah. come to my house. Uh, but uh, if yeah. I'm running my company well, I have lots of people at the company who can handle things, right? And there's that fear of, oh no, what if I'm not, what if I don't know? Well, the answer is if you don't know, whatever's going to happen is still going to happen. And, and so that's, that's helped me to scale as an author and a podcaster and a CEO and a dad all at the same time, right? Uh, and you're dealing with this too. You have young kids uh, and you're a filmmaker and <laughs> an author and running your company. It, it's, uh, it's a pretty similar, pretty similar situation. And it, it's a forcing function when you get that busy and you realize if I do what what the traditional Western uh, kind of role models do, which is I kind of ignore my family. Um, so I can you know, be the bread, breadwinner and then you're like, oh wait, my kids are 18 and I guess I spend a little time with them. And, and that's not good either, right? Because that, come, that, that comes out of them and also comes out of you because you, know, you don't get that time back. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a, a lot of uh, really wonderful um, wisdom kicked down as a young acupuncturist, you know, when I was first in practice, I just, you know, I, I saw a lot of very successful people, very wealthy people, you know, that you'd be like, whoa, that guy's a baller. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in very private, intimate setting where, you know, I get to hear what's really, you know, keeping these people up at night. And man, I gotta say, if you don't work out that family math, you don't work out that personal, you know, uh, spiritual hygiene, you don't work out these things. 
I know what's going on in these people's lives and they were just miserable. And so I got a lot, I got a lot of data very early in my career to suggest that my definition of prosperity needs an upgrade. Right. And my definition of prosperity needs to include all of the things I hold dear. Right. Which includes time hiking with the dogs and dropping my kids. I drop off my son at school every time I'm in town. You know what I mean? Like those things must be there or else it's not worth it. You'll run out of gas. The 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 real definition of prosperity is, is doing what you want to do. And I, I used to think it was about money. I, I made $6 million when I was 26 at the company that held Google's first server when it was you know, two guys in a computer. And that was awesome. And I remember I, I told my friends who were all in a sim- similar situation of sudden wealth, I'm like, you know, I'll be happy to have $10 million. That's when I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, That's the, my the difference between <laughs> $6 million and $10 million is zero. If you, if you come from not having millions, either of those is enough money to live the rest of your life doing what you want to do. But I didn't know that because no one talked about that, especially back then. And I think that's that's what comes down to this. You know, the the real art of stopping time there is well, time flows differently when you when you're doing what you want to do when you're in a flow state. And it also actually ties into what we'll talk about in a little bit, your your documentary prosperity. You know, prosperity is is not about having unlimited dollars. You gotta have enough dollars that you're not spending all your time worrying about what you're gonna eat. And, and that number is about $75,000, according to studies. And ab- above that, another $10,000 doesn't make you happier. You know, it might buy you cool stuff, but yes. that doesn't do it. And so, like, who, who would have thought? But you've, you've definitely developed these hundred different practices or gongs uh, that are in the book. And uh, you've developed them yourself, but you've also tested them on 70 people. So of the 70 people, what are like the top five most popular gongs? Wait, look, uh, you know what? That's not part of what came through in the results. I can tell you the ones um, that, yeah, I, I, sure, I can tell you sure. just based on feedback. Um, and so, so just, and just to be clear, I've tested these on tens of thousands of people. We just did a focus okay. panel on these 70 of you know, people who don't know me kind of thing um, uh, and do it. But um, here, here's some of the data. I just pulled it up. Uh, frequency that I feel happy or joyful increased 23%. Amount of energy I have through the day increased 28% on average. How calm I feel, 25%. Ability to handle stress, 29%. Um, overall health, uh, 20%. Productivity, 26 Quality of sleep, 34 And it goes on and on. Free time I have, 33 And so these are people who just read 50 chapters went through for 50 days and came through. Uh, and a lot of it is just, it's interesting, right? Like some of the gongs that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. It's just like, you know what, today I want you to stop and say hi to a neighbor, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like we live, we live in places where people don't even know the neighbors in their neighborhood and everyone's head down pulling into a garage. And it's just like, whatever, that's the, you know, there's Robbie. Right. But it's just like, just stop for a second and just say, hi, acknowledge something. And like, it's created a sense of community where they've learned to appreciate the place that they live and they now have, you know, a sense of, of some sort of community where, where they're at, you know, some of it is, you know, like I'd mentioned, like, you know, walk out and just go to a park and listen to the birds for one second. I don't care if you just walk out of your office park and listen, uh, just listen to the birds. When's the last time you noticed the chirping of the birds? Right. And it's all of these things that are anchored in something really real, like nature. Nature is real. Right. It's not this abstract thing that's, you know, like part of this thought train that I've been caught up in since, you know, my first coffee this morning. It's 
It's this other thing that's happening all the time of which we've become oblivious. And so getting these cues, anchoring into things like your breath, anchoring into things like stretching deeply and just like letting your body uh, get whatever it needs for that, the two minute break that you're taking and stopping time to just honor your body for a second. I mean, it's profound what happens to people because we don't give ourselves permission. I'm only as good as my productive capacity. If I don't look busy, I'm a loser and they're going to think that I'm not good enough at this company, right? Like all these weird mimetics that, that train us to just run like, like morons, frankly, until we hit a wall and then end up with, you know, some sort of cellular disease and pathology. Um, you know, we're, we're all headed for that unless we learn to slow. It's funny you mentioned cellular disease. I just recorded a podcast uh, the other day that may come out before or after this one, so I'm not going to name it. Um, but it was uh, with a medical researcher who had looked at the effects of, of personal growth and meditation on telomerase, and, which is the thing that makes your cells age more quickly or less quickly, and on mitochondrial function. And she said, well, this probably won't hit the medical journals for three years because of skeptics. Uh, but the data is, is in, and your cells run better when you do this kind of thing, which is why uh, one of the reasons I want to have you on here, if you can control your stress uh, around time, uh, it does make you actually age less quickly. And people who age less quickly perform better because their cells make more energy. So all those all those things that you talked about there, those percentage improvements, um, those may be caused by or may influence the amount of energy that comes from the cells. It's kind of a cool thing. You mentioned one practice there, just you know, say hi to a neighbor kind of thing, and I'm sure everyone listening can do that. But what are the other kind of big hitter gongs, like the, the ones that, that everyone talks about is, wow, this one really changed my life? Like I'm, I'm looking for actionable stuff that people listening right now might be able to take sure. with them before they buy your book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I do often and, you know, it's been really profound for a lot of uh, our readers has been uh, getting into a deceleration ritual where you just go by candlelight in the evenings and, you know, just try just try it once and see how it goes type of thing. It's like, wow, the kids just stopped being crazy and everyone just kind of got along and, and, and we slept better than we ever slept that night. Right. Like and a, stuff we have like an that. app on the iPhone. Um, it looks like a candle. We just set it right there on the table. It's so cool. Totally. And, and it plays, and it plays music. <laughs> All right. If you guys didn't catch, if you didn't catch the beeps. humor there, that is not what I do at night. We, we, we have light dimmers and all that stuff. And, and we all, actually oftentimes have candles at dinner, but yeah, just, just making it calm. I, okay. So I could see that would be really popular. Yeah. Yeah. Making it calm because people just don't give themselves the permission. One of the things that I've been doing for, I don't know, about three, four years now, that's absolutely changed my life. I have all these injuries from the martial arts days when I was, you know, bruising a lot harder is I set a timer every 25 minutes and take a five minute break. And in that five minutes, it's just whatever you're doing, just pull away. Right. And basically like I'm already at a standing desk, but basically, you know, I got a bunch of weights over there. I got some like, you know, Swiss balls, I got all sorts of stuff. Just do some push-ups, do some squats, stretch out a little bit, you know, lunge into uh, a stance where you're breathing, go drink some water, go to the bathroom, come back up. And at first it's like, Oh, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. That seems so wasteful. I do corporate wellness for about 2,200 companies. And there are such profound differences, impact on absenteeism, presenteeism, productivity, 
everything starts to go up when people just give themselves permission to check in with themselves twice an hour, stretch, move their body, get the blood flowing, your active metabolic rate goes up, your resting metabolic rate goes up, your aches and pains start to get better and you just honor your body. Simple math, right? But it's just like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't take breaks that often. Well, well you what can't do you do when you're on to. an hour-long conference call? I mean, I, I get a lot of those. Um, I basically, um, for better or for worse, take all my calls on my cell phone. I route all my calls on my cell phone now. And I, you know, to tell you the truth, and sometimes I get caught. I, I'm in Southern California, so I get away with it. Is It's beautiful out there. So I will just go walk around the block. There's a park that like no one goes to by our by our office over here. I'll put it on mute. I'll chime in, put it back on mute, hang off the monkey bars. Like literally, I'm stretching at the park while on these <laughs> conference calls. And I'll and I'll preface it and be like, look, I'm you know I'm I'm a health and wellness dude. Um, I can't I cannot afford in in time, energy, mood, or any of it to be indoors under fluorescence any more than I already have to. So I'm gonna take a walk outside while we have this call, and I, I invite you to do the same. It's like and then you give them permission and all of a sudden everything's changed. Very cool. I've, I've attended a few of the Bulletproof executive meetings uh, by, by video phone. I'm like, guys, it's sunny. This is the only time I'm getting some sun. So I'm doing this call with my shirt off and I'm aiming the phone at my face mostly. But if you see some shoulder, you're going to deal with it. And so far, no one's rebelled. Totally. But, you know, it, it sounds weird, but we're totally. humans. And if we're all indoors all the time, it kind of sucks. So, so that's how you handle your 25 minutes yeah, with a five minute break, but you don't hang up the phone every 25 minutes. No, no. I mean, there's a mute button on an iPhone, right? I mute it. And then, you know, every once in a while I get caught, you know, when I'm talking and a FedEx truck comes gassing by or something. Right. But I also just, I pace around the office. Like I just won't allow myself to sit and get stagnant. So, you know, I'll just stretch into my hips and, and do stuff and keep moving because it, you know, still water breeds poison. Right. It just it doesn't work. It doesn't work when we stop moving. Very cool. Uh, we uh, we share that that perspective. I don't have a timer every 25 minutes, but uh, definitely the standing desk thing. And I mean, I have pull up bars on the stairs. I walk down every day. So it's right above the, the stairways. So you sort of grab on and pull a push up. And yeah, it's just it's good to build that in. It, it really matters. So let me I just just on that. I mean, uh, that's a hack that I've often done. And so I got two flights of stairs right here uh, coming up to my office up here in our corporate office here. And um, every time I do it, I do a different type of exercise. So I'm not allowed to do those stairs normally. So I either have to hop three stairs. I do a lunge and then kick back. I just turn every little thing into a ritual. So now it's just my stairs are I don't know. I go up at maybe 15, 20 times a day. That's just part of a workout routine that's now built in. It's just a new habit, right? And, you know, you could we could browbeat each other into being like, what's that guy doing? He's weird. Or you could be like, hey, yeah, I'm full of life and I'm feeling better. And, you know, soon all you monkeys yeah. are going to be doing this too. Uh, and just be a leader and, and, and not get browbeaten, in, you know, by this like cultural friction that a lot of people have at work and try to like, you know, behave and stay in, stay in line by eating Arby's at your desk. You know what I mean? It just, it's, it's insane. Eating Arby's isn't good for you. Headroom. Oh man, sorry. Are you an investor? No. God. <laughs> no, it's it's kind of a funny thing, but you'd say, you know, that weird guy. Here's the deal. If you listen to Bulletproof Radio, you already are the weird person. Because if you want to be a high performer at whatever you do, even if it's you know parenting, it means you're not average. And if you're not average, you're weird. So if you want to be average, like this is totally the wrong place to be. Like this is a place where weird people who happen to be two or three or four standard deviations away from average, hopefully in the right direction, uh, this is where we hang out. 
And you just have to embrace that. It's, it's like, if you want to be normal, it means you want to be average. You want to be average, hey, that's cool, but that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm aiming for. That's not the info that I'm looking to share. And that, and that boat, that boat, like labeled mediocrity is already so oh, stuffy and point. full, right? Like there's, there's plenty, so- there's plenty of that. All right. So now we've got two habits. Mm-hmm. Say hi to your neighbors and move around every 25 minutes. Give me like three more. Three more habits. Um, I do one every morning that I think is a, a really important hack, which is I do my Qigong every morning before I pee. <laughs> I do. It's just a quick, it's just a quick two move set. Right. But the point is one of the most autonomic, like automatic things that one does in the morning is roll out of bed, go pee and then stumble into their day. And so what I want to do is hack my biology, step in on the very first thing that I'm going to be mindless and thoughtless about and build in the integration of mind, body and spirit, eyes, mind, body movements and breath and and really bring it in and consolidate, uh, get my focus and my intention together Do you know, basically a minute to two minutes of gratitude, then go pee. And, you know, look, I got young kids. Then it's just like, you know, pandemonium, right? Like I, even if I'm up at five, like this morning, my son was like up at four 30. It's like, dude, really? Uh, yeah. I found that having right. kids absolutely destroyed my morning meditation practice. Uh, there was really no point to it. Whatever time you wake up, they'll sense you're awake and they'll wake up then too. So like it, it doesn't work that well. Uh, I prefer the nighttime stuff. Um, but I'm also, that's my chronotype. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Yep. Is there like a special cheat? It, is there more. a special Qigong mm. pose for peeing? Like, do you do it on one leg with your arms up, like crane pee or something? Like, like is there? <laughs> well, you aim for distance. <laughs> you know, one thing I love about you, Pedro, is no matter where I take things, you'll always take them one level worse. So there, there you go. <laughs> Man, you, you know what? I, I've lived a very full life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a holy monk. I've been around a lot of a lot. And you know what? It's just one thing I've learned is it's, it's, just don't judge anything because we're all so damn weird and quirky. And, uh, you know what? Life is just too funny. It, it really is. Um, so, you know, look, I got, I got plenty more if you want, if you want more gongs, like, you know, there's from, from taking pro, uh, progressive relaxation to taking a few breaths, like five breaths for you every hour. And so there's a lot of yeah. different ones that, that I do because again, I'm trying to, you know, I'm just trying to help my readers understand that this isn't about me or some dogmatic thing. It's like, Oh, this is, you know, do the Pedro method, right? That's all nonsense. It's like, here's a bunch of cool things that I know have worked for thousands of people and have worked for thousands of years, check them out and whatever sticks. Cool. Now that's part yeah. of your routine. Right. And so there, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter really that what the only thing that really matters is being present, coming back to yourself and waking up. Right. And waking up really is the only game in town. Uh, you had a couple, uh, a couple chapters that stood out for me. One was traumatic events. Why did you do a chapter on traumatic events in a book on stopping time? I mean, if you think about what weight in your timeline a traumatic event holds. And if you have an emotion with a traumatic event, which is impossible not to, um, what that does is it binds you to that moment in time on your timeline and anchors you with this emotion that you don't really feel, you don't want to feel. And so it's painful. So you move away from it. Um, and you're constantly, you know, building all sorts of defenses and psychological stuff to like kind of, you know, move, move on from there. But unless you've gone back and healed that traumatic event, 
that is like a very heavy stone on kind of like the, the paper of your timeline. And so it creates gravity. It pulls you back. You know, you could be walking through your day doing a meeting or something and something triggers and elicits a memory that is flavored by that traumatic event. And all of a sudden you're not here anymore. You're there. You're then. Yeah. Right. And so I think a, a lot of, a lot of what the kind of esoteric side of all this is, is man, it is so hard to be here now when we're stuck then. And we're stuck in past time more than we're willing to admit it. And so for me, it's about going back and clearing, going back in the timeline and forgiving and loving and resolving and just getting through whether you're tapping or blessing or forgiving. There's so many techniques. And I talk about a number of them in the book. You know, I'm technique agnostic, but you got to go back and clean that stuff because there's no way in hell you can be present and aware unless you've done that type of work. And all the, you know, self-help stuff is like all these like quick hacks and shortcuts to like, you know, forgetting your past. That stuff doesn't work. You just, you gotta, you gotta get in to get out. Right. And, and, and I think that that's a direction that has been, um, there's been a lot of misguided, um, teaching, I think in the personal development space around that. And you know what, I'm a realist and I've been around and I'm a priest and you just, man, you just got to go in and heal it. And on the other side of that, you're whole. It's amazing how many entrepreneurs are almost entirely motivated by being bullied like in fifth or seventh grade or something. That's a a very common form of trauma (laughs) that actually is now shown to shorten your telomeres. And it's one of those, it's one of those things where at at 40 years of Zen, we teach people to go back with neurofeedback and all and, and reprogram that stuff and just completely edit it out of your neurological memory. But where you still remember it, but you don't have a visceral, like a fear sense when it's triggered. And the more successful the entrepreneur, if, unless they spend a lot of time doing a personal growth work, like it's almost like the more traumas they have, like they're running from something to be successful and they're miserable. And then when they let go of at least some of the traumas, like, oh, wow, now I can be happy and now I'm running towards something. And for me, that was a profound shift in my life and in my business and everything. Because yeah, those traumas, they're sneaky and you don't know they're there. So I was happy to see that you wrote the chapter. Yeah. And, you know, look, we've known each other for a while. I'm not afraid to go there. Right. And and so, you know, I'm writing this for the general audience. But at the same time, I think everyone wants to like sugarcoat things for the general audience because like, oh, no, you don't want to, you know, you know, give me seven ways to solidify my abs. And like, look, if that stuff worked, the the tabloids would have moved, you know, like Mm -hmm. moved on. It's just the same dumb advice over and over again. Um, And so I'm not interested in selling sugar cereal to children. Like, you know, it's like, hey, look, this is how you do it. You could choose to not do it. But You're right, do it. Cigarettes are so much easier to sell to kids. I mean, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Easier oh to God. transport. The evil <laughs> things that big business has done that we can undo. You had another mm-hmm. chapter here uh, called stopping time to make love. Uh, and I'm glad you didn't say stopping love to make time because that would be more of a Western approach. But <laughs> what's the deal <laughs> with stopping time to make love? Like, why did you put a chapter in there on that? <sighs> Yeah, I, being a, a Taoist, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of sexual yoga built into our systems, like, you know, cultivation, tantra, all that. So, yeah, I trained in that a long, long time. And, you know, I'd, I'd have all these couples come in and, you know, complain about, you know, their sex life. And you get into it and it's just like, man, this has become transactional. It's just like, you know, get in, get out, you know, race to O, you know, say, hey, good job. High five. You know what's on TV. Right. And, and, and it's become this really kind of trivialized kind of event 
that is unfulfilling. Even when you get it, you're fulfilled for a minute, but then you're unfulfilled and then you're swiping on Tinder again. And it's just this, it's just not working the way people are doing it. And, and, and personal, my personal slant on this is I think porn has really like, you know, destroyed a lot of that in, in Western culture because people in, at an early age, especially guys at an early age, uh, have that as an example of what sexuality and sensuality is. And so I think it's very base, right? And so when you want to get into the act of making love, you don't do it. You relax into it, right? You, you soften and you allow. And in the tantric sense, you follow the, the feminine principle, right? And you follow the feminine principle up the spine. And so, you know, you engage at the base of the spine and you let things open and you allow yourself to melt and you allow yourself to, to um, be vulnerable and open with your partner. And so my whole thing is like, look, I'm not, I'm not saying you should do this all the time because chances are you can't do this every night, but tonight's gong is this is what you're doing. Kids are in bed, whatever, whatever. There's no TV. There's no binge watching. You're turning lovemaking into the event of the evening and take your time. And if every, if, if someone or both are quick to climax, then just have a no climax rule for the evening <laughs> and just stay under. Uh, yeah. Just stay under that, that, you know, that eruption, if you will, because then yeah. it's like you're done. And stay, it just find it just open, open more space, get some more bandwidth in your lovemaking so that you understand that there's a huge variance of experience and there's this, this vast universe to explore. Uh, and most of us just don't go there, right? We're just, we're just brainwashed into thinking it's like, you know, models in Milan and, you know, like we don't even know what sex is, right? We're, we're, we're confused about it in our culture. And I, I think lovemaking is a lost art um, that needs well, to come back. I was back. happy to see a chapter on that. And and it's funny because you just basically made uh, 49% of listeners, assuming we have the, an average population here, 51% of the world is women, 49% men, uh, basically go, what? You, you mean I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have blue balls? I, I, I'm not going to be able to handle this? What do you mean a no climax rule? You're an evil yep. man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I did a, an experiment. It was going back about five years, and it was in the Huffington Post, and I gave a talk about it. Uh, but for a whole year, I tracked uh, um, ejaculation versus happiness, and I followed Taoist principles uh, and found, you know, there's a lot to be said for having sex sometimes without, especially for the guy, without ejaculating, just because this funny thing happens. Well, you have more energy the next day, and you're really highly motivated to have sex again. So you end up getting more sex. And yeah. for the women in a relationship, oftentimes that's also beneficial because they do have more orgasms. And uh, for women, um, it, it's a different effect than it is for men. And, and so, you know, working that, uh, working that in uh, to a book about you know habits that matter. I can tell you, whether you're in a relationship or not, if if you don't have a ritual or a healthy habits around sex. That's one of the big three things that are, are the Petri dish that is our body, like our meat operating system. We feel like we're going to die if we don't have sex because the species will die if we don't have sex. It's hardwired in there. Uh, so if you don't make time for that, man, there's going to be a voice inside you, maybe in the background screaming, everyone's going to die. And, and that's why sex is important, even if you know, we're, we're messing around with how often we, we climax. At the, at the risk of going a little uh, woo woo here, and you know I'm not I'm not afraid, but um, here's also you know so there's really two trajectories right towards immortality. One is let me have a bunch of kids, 
and, uh, you know, hope that they survive <laughs> and, and, you know, pass my seat on. And then the other one is the, the kind of the temple training one, which is let me understand this principle of my sexuality and allow that to awaken my consciousness and open up to the enormity of my infinite nature. And that's where pretty much all of the mystical traditions come from. And that's why there's a lot of celibacy built into those things. And so, look, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm married and I have kids, so I went from celibate to household and I've really played in between, but there is something in that tapping into that energy of your sexuality and allowing it to awaken your consciousness is magical. And so I'll just leave it at that, but it's where it's something there. And and for people who are going, Oh geez, what, what they just say, read think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, which is a book that's behind a, a shocking, shockingly high number of successful entrepreneurs, including me. And there's a whole chapter in there, and you, around transmutation of sexual energy. And I wrote a post, it's an older bulletproof post, just looking at all the different traditions that have hit on this. There's some science here. It's just something that you're not going to usually talk about at the bar. And if you do, uh, like people will just think they're going to die if they don't do this. So I I was happy to see that you put a chapter in around making time, just acknowledging the importance of, of sex for people who want to have more control of their time. Now... I want to ask you one more question about the art of stopping time uh, is the title of your book. Uh, and then let's move on and talk about prosperity because I'm really excited about your new documentary as well. And what is the one worst habit that people have that, that prevents them from stopping time? <sighs> A lot of your listeners are not going to be happy <laughs> to hear this. But yeah, listening to listen to these dumb podcasts, right? <laughs> no, that would be you not being happy to hear this. Um, but it, but it, it's it's right in the same line, right? It's yeah. social media because you know if you want to develop an app today, it has to be itchy, it has to be mm-hmm. sexy, right? Um, and, and and it has to be sticky. And so you know this every time, like okay, I go to a restaurant, the dude's like, hey, listen, it's gonna be five five minutes uh, before we can give you a table, and you're you're not you know the person you're meeting isn't there yet, so. I could stop and say, oh, wow, the universe just gave me five minutes. I keep complaining about not having time. I was just given five minutes to breathe down to my navel, to relax, to stretch, do all these things that I've been meaning to do that I don't get around to. But what am I going to do instead? Let's see what's on Facebook, right? And 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 just go into this mindless thumbing of, of this data stream that will not, it's relentless and it will constantly just be bombarding you with new information that may or may not be relevant for what you need in that moment. And so, you know, and look, I'm not, I'm not a Luddite, like whatever, you know, I got, I got a Facebook page, right? But the point is when reality gives you time, whether it's in the form of traffic or, you know, someone being late or anything, instead of just mindlessly jumping into the social media, just stop for one quick second and be like, okay, what do I need right now? I was just gifted some time. What have I been behind on? What have I been telling myself I need to do more of? Have I been meaning to call mom, right? And just that little hack has saved my people thousands and thousands of hours over, over years of just reclaimed time. We, we have time. Just look at where you're spending it. It's like, you know, if, you, if someone comes in and they're like in debt and they're in trouble financially, what do you do? You look at the, you know, you look at the money out, you look at the money in, you cut up the credit cards and you say, okay, let's clean this up, right? We're also the same way with time. So just do, do an assessment of where your time is going and be honest. And that's one of the gongs actually is just tracking like what the hell you're doing all day and find those times that you can say like, oh, well, that's my leisure time. It's like, okay, well, how much better would it be for you to 
go outside and see a tree and breathe and, you know, and stretch versus using your thumbing through your phone as leisure time. It's just, it doesn't compute, but, but we've fallen into it and we're addicted. So we don't even think we don't think it through. I, uh, I really like that. So that that's a, that's a cool one. And using social media judiciously is, is important. And if you're going to do it, do it consciously. The other little hint I would add on top of that is there's a little button on Facebook that says, show me less posts like this. So when they put crap in your feed or yet more fear mongering, political, whatever, you can just be like, don't show me this anymore. And then at least if you do decide you're going to use social media, A, it was a decision to use it. And B, you can increase the odds of seeing something that might be useful to you. So, So cultivating your feed for who you follow and liking things that you actually like so that if you do spend five minutes doing that, at least the odds of getting something out of it go up and then choosing to spend those five minutes versus letting those five minutes kind of choose themselves. I think that's a really important practice. And for me, it's made a big difference. That's, you know, to me, it's like upgrading your dashboard. You're only as good as the information that comes in. So you could train the AI. It's all AI, right? So you can train the AI to serve you only that and, and curate the information that comes in that, that deserves yep. your time, right? Which is what you're saying exactly. in a different way. Well, let's switch gears and talk about prosperity. And by the way, just one more time, if this conversation is, uh, is useful and you're interested in, in trying the 100-day gong idea, the Art of Stopping Time is the name of your new book. And I've got the advanced uncorrected proof, not for sale. It was still full of uh, Taoist swear words because it was uncorrected. Okay, not really. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that uh, um, by the time this hits the air, this will be hitting shelves, right? Awesome. The, uh, the next thing we're going to talk about is your new documentary called Prosperity. And we've talked about this for the last uh, about two years, uh, whenever we get a chance to connect, uh, about how you're looking to, to change the world. You actually traveled across the country to figure out how businesses big and small are making sustainable businesses. And what I, I don't think I mentioned is that the second time I was ever in a magazine, I was uh, 23 years old, I think. And I had just been in a magazine for like, look, this, this weird fat kid sold t-shirts to 14 countries over this inner something or another, the internet. Uh, But the second article was around, they called it business environmentalism back then. And I was wearing a t-shirt I'd made that said, if you exploit it, it's gone. And I was saying that if you you use your business to exploit the world or even to exploit your customers, the long relationship where you provide value to them and they support you, that, that you break it. And, and this was actually a passionate argument against spam before spam existed. And two weeks after the article came out, the first spammers ever uh, started spamming. They were attorneys, uh, believe it or not. So I apologize that you know, my article on uh, business environmentalism actually may have helped to spawn the spam revolution. Um, but uh, that actually is what happened. So I, I've been about this idea of how, what does a business do to be sustainable because it takes care of the business environment as well as the social environment. And here we are, you know, 20 years later, you're making a film about this, which is why I'm stoked about it. Why did you decide to do this given you run well.org, given you know, you're a monk and uh, you've got all these other things going on, a New York Times bestselling books? Why a documentary? It's a huge amount of time and money to do this. What was motivating you? 
So I kind of came to a realization um, at some point last year. I mean, look, I could have retired to some place in Costa Rica, gone to some sort of conscious self-congratulatory community and talked about yeah, how much better we are than everybody. And lots of quinoa, lots <laughs> of quinoa, right? And just kind of, you know, hanging out, hanging out with my, my, you know, chorus and people that are like, like me talking about how, you know, the world out there is messed up. And and I realized that, you know, I could do that and have a decadent life in that capacity. And then all the world's problems would wash up on the beach of mm-hmm. my children and they would have to deal with it and it would probably be too late. So there's a time in a man's life where you just got to draw your sword and say, like, what what the hell is going on? What do I need to do right now? What needs to be changed in my lifetime? Because I'm looking at these two beautiful children who are facing a very stiff uphill battle against, you know, the glyphosate against, you know, just all of the chemicals and all of the problems of the world. And, and you know what, I just, I got all Papa bear about it. And I said, look, let me, let me start looking at people that are actually doing stuff. That's cool. And see who's doing it in a scalable fashion. And let me just see if this is even real. It was more of an intellectual curiosity following my last movie origins where, you know, we, we, we kind of ended on this kind of assertion that you could vote with your dollars. Right. And so I was like, okay, let me test, let me pressure test that premise and, and start talking to people who are doing that and see what the world would look like if we were to actually, you know, uh, do that ourselves individually, every single one of us, what would that do? And man, it was, it's been hell of a journey. I mean, the movie's finished. It's coming out soon. It's been a hell of a journey. And I've learned a lot. I've, I've hung out, you know, the John Mackey's of the world, the founders of all these big companies. And I got to say, you know what? You see a lot of bad news on TV. There's a lot of good news to be shared. Yeah. Having had a chance to, to meet uh, the CEO of Whole Foods, John Mackey, and maybe less of, of the exact crowd that, that you hung out with, but I've had the great fortune over the last few years to to get to know on a personal level uh, billionaires, uh, like people with hundreds of millions of dollars that they can direct wherever they want to go. And there are a few weird, I don't want to call them evil, but we'll say less conscious people in that crowd. But the vast majority of the people I've talked to, maybe it's a sampling size, are they look at at their wealth as something that they're they're not going to to spend frivolously. But they look at it as something that that's stewardship that, that they can use to make the world a better place. Because, I mean, if you have, I don't know what the, what the number is, but if you have $10 million plus anything above that or above 20, whatever your number is, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a lever to do something with. And these the people that I know, they're like, how can, how can I make the world better with this? And, and so this is the mindset that's out there. But then when you turn on TV... You hear all this, you know, scam this and scam that, and it's often heavily filtered. There's a political angle to it. There's, uh, there's just all kinds of, of of stuff going on that prevents us from seeing the reality of that. That I believe people are basically good, and yeah, there's traumatized people who are not acting the right way. But but what did you find in prosperity when you went and you met specifically with people who who set out to say they're doing conscious capitalism? I mean, John's a leader in the field, but like, what are some of the other people you talked to and, and what did you find? Well, you know, so there's, it's, it's a wide gamut, right? So the first thing I'll say is yeah. it's not philanthropy. So if you're running a business that's supposed to be social enterprise, you still got to make money, right? And so it's about aligning the money so that your money isn't dirty. Your money, you know, like, so, so one of my favorite examples of co- a company called Guayaquil. 
they their original purpose was there a bunch of young guys that were like, hey, we want to we heard that, you know, we are in trouble and uh, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. And the number one, number two ways of sequestering carbon are, you know, multi strata rainforest and tree canopy. Uh, where, where can we find some of that? It's called the Amazon. Okay. So the Amazon's getting clear cut like crazy. And so let's understand the unit economics of what's happening on the ground there and why these farmers or these tribes are letting their land go to like, you know, the grazers or the soy farmers and all this. And they're like, okay, great. They're getting this much money for these many hectares because these guys are producing this. What shade grown solution inside the tree canopy can we find that will have better economics to basically be like, no, 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 we want you to grow this yerba mate here and we'll buy it all from you. Don't cut it down. And so their entire model was built on saving the rainforest. So every time you buy a bag of their stuff, whether it's Guayaki or Runa Tea, there's a few of these companies out there now that are doing wonderful things like that. Yeah. Organic India. Yeah. And so there's a lot of these. And it's just like every time you buy a bag of this, just, you know what? Feel good about the fact that you just helped offset deforestation. And frankly, you're, you know, you know the, the Guayaki guys are now starting to regrow rainforest. Right. So it's like I have a choice. It's like, OK, am I going to get a can of Coke, which then does this to the world? Or am I just going to get a, a bottle of this Guayaki, which will do this fundamentally different thing? So, you know, one of the things that you said that I want to really make a, a, a distinction about is. This isn't just a game for guys that have 10 million bucks. This oh, yeah. is a game for the person who's listening to this who has a choice at lunch, right? Vote with your dollar every time. So know who the good guys are. And for me, it's like, look, the companies that we interviewed and followed in the movie, uh, you know what? Tomorrow they could do something really dumb. So it's not about me featuring companies because that's not, you know, it's like I paid for it myself. It's not it's not like a, a, a an infomercial for these guys. It's about putting our cameras on behavior that is awesome and rewarding that good behavior and showing these companies that, yo, yeah, you keep doing that. I'm your customer. Hell yeah. And then, and then I just kind of followed that premise through and realized what, what I didn't understand. And some of these assumptions that I went into was like, you know, just supporting companies that are doing the right thing. But then as I started swimming upstream, I realized, man, where the real leverage is, is where does your money sleep at night? And so if you're banking with one of the big banks, you just know that likely the likeliness is you're funding the private prison industrial complex. You are funding, you know, oil pipelines and coal. You are you're, you are funding, obviously, like, you know, ex- exploiting uh, mom and pop businesses and all these nasty things that are coming out about the big banks. And they're doing it with your money. And so there's all these awesome conscious banks. There's all these community banks that then take the money, reinvest it in the real economy, like goods and services and like helping the bakery next door and all these types of things, which then bring money back to Main Street and help people, you know, find prosperity again. And so, man, it's been a trip. You know, it's been a couple of years on this journey and I've learned a lot. And I got to say, I came out way more optimistic and enthusiastic um, and charged. Like, you know what, we're, we, we're doing this and we can do this and we need to do this. So it, let's go. It's funny you mentioned this stuff. One of the reasons uh, that I use Rainforest Alliance growers uh, when we're working with them on, on the mold-free coffee thing, is Rainforest Alliance looks at that same thing, mm-hmm. including our people paid a living wage. And, and it's more valuable than organic because a typical Rainforest Alliance uh, coffee grower can't even afford pesticides <laughs> like they wouldn't use them anyway and you tend to get more shade grown coffee that way and, and all those other things because you know what you put on your plate and where you get it from uh, what you put in your cup or, or any of these other decisions what you park in your driveway 
they have repercussions and we don't usually think about those. It's like, well, what's fastest, what's most convenient. And the message in prosperity and, you know, I, we've talked about it for a long time. Uh, and I don't think I've seen the, the latest cut of it, but I saw an early, early cut. You got to share it's it with done. me. You, you shared it with me it's like done. six months ago and it was pretty rough, but, um, uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really pleased that you went and, and you looked at not just what are big companies doing, because at that point you could take that as, this is why you should shop at, you know, Whole Foods instead of somewhere else, or this is why you, know, you should work with this company. But you're actually saying, this is why whatever you decide to do, think about these things. And you're right. Uh, if you put your money in, in a big financial institution that does things that are unethical to get an extra 0.1%, well, they're paying you almost no interest on your money anyway. Um, it, it doesn't serve you well. And, and frankly, big banks, uh, they treat you like crap. I, I mean, yeah, just just dial, just call your call center on your bank and see how long it takes to talk to them and see how much they value your time. They don't uh, at all. And there are, there are lots of things you can do that are in the movie. Um, what about uh, what about cryptocurrencies? Do you get into that at all? I mean, so many of the the people, especially younger people, I'm, I'm working with a couple <laughs> crypto companies right now. You know, people are just saying, I don't want I don't want to use uh, even you know the uh, people don't know this, but. Well, you know, the, the yeah. private banks in the U.S. own the Federal Reserve. <laughs> the Federal Reserve isn't even a government thing. Uh, so they're deciding how much money is going to be out there. And essentially, it's, it's a way of vacuuming your account by creating inflation that goes into their accounts instead of yours. And uh, people who know about this are like, I don't actually like dollars or euros or anything else anymore. Do you have a thought on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. And so what we decided to do because of the state of cryptocurrency right now uh, was to not have it in the movie. And the reason why was because, look, everyone lives in the real economy right now. So here's what you could do within the real economy. Um, And then we have a lot of follow up. The movie's actually going to turn into a a serialized TV show and keep going because I've been talking to all these crypto guys. And it's kind of wild, wild west, right? Like no one knows, you know, how it's going to go, but uh, it's not going away, right? It's not going away. Crypto is here to stay. Uh, And so what we want to do is go into phases of being like, okay, look, you live in the real economy. Your bank, you know, who uh, holds the note on your house wants it in dollars. (laughs) This is, you know, this is how you start moving. This is maybe how you refinance. This is, you know, whatever. There's ways of being better within the real economy. Uh, and then let's jump into the other thing. But, you know, there's there's so many of these social issues, like when you're mentioning the shade grown rainforest alliance thing. Just look at like one of the main issues in America right now. Everyone's talking about immigration, build a wall. Um, these guys, let's say they're in like Honduras, right? Whatever. I'm just going to pull a country out of, out of my hat. This guy's in Honduras. He's 15 years old. There are no jobs. There's no jobs that pay enough money because everyone's grinding on them. And, you know, you go and if you like, you know, work for that place, you might die, but, you know, it'll give you what you need uh, for a little bit. And so they're like, screw this. What I really want to do is leave my family and my beautiful terrain, go sneak across the border because I want to be a (laughs) refugee to mow someone's lawn. That's what I want out of my life. Right. And so you think about this. It's like, what? Who the hell doesn't want to stay in the village with their grandma and their like parents and have abundance and all this? So it's like you want to start solving world problems, give people living wages where they are and you stop this. It's not a, the immigration problem is a is an economic problem that's based on, you know, unfair trade practices. And it's because we don't look where we spend. There's some evil stuff going on. And I'll talk about I'll talk about coffee, partly because I know it and because it's a it's one of the most heavily traded commodities out there. 
it's actually caused governments to, to topple <laughs> and a huge amount of, of intervention mm-hmm. uh, from Europe and the US in South America and Africa has been driven by that industry. And in order to get organic certification for a coffee farm, no local farmer who runs a single estate can afford to do that. It literally takes a whole year's worth of, of profits to even think about getting certified. So you have the ability to get you know another 20 cents a pound for green coffee beans if you get the certification. So that means that you have to basically sell to a larger company who's, who's basically going to stop doing ancestral practices in coffee cultivation, and you're going to lose your living wage that you might be getting from your coffee in order to get the next level certification. And that's one of the reasons that that rainforest thing is so important because you're saying, well, follow best practices here, but it requires a living wage. It's an economic certification which supports that local wage in addition to uh, you know, having the quality aspect. And I, I don't think people recognize that. They're saying, oh, I, I want you know, organic, but organic doesn't mean more nutritious. Uh, it just means that they didn't apply chemical fertilizers and certain sprays and they followed a, a set of rules. But the certification there is incredibly burdensome for small farmers. So how do you support a small farmer, whether it's coffee or tea or chocolate or you know zucchini? And one of the things that that I think is is really impactful is go to your farmer's market. Like buy direct from the farmer. Uh, go to a, a small company buy direct online from the small company. Like take the extra 30 seconds to enter your credit card number in their website versus going to a big roll-up site. Uh, Because at that point, the company keeps all of your money. And if you go to uh, some other site or uh, something like that, what you end up doing is you're taking about between 30 and 60% of your money that would have gone to the person who created the good you wanted and you're giving it to the middlemen and the, the distribution system. And if you're doing that to save 30 seconds, it's probably not worth it. If you're doing it to save 10 minutes, maybe it is worth it. But, but those little micro decisions um, are part of what's behind your movie Prosperity, just saying, look, the way you spend your money, even if it's the same amount of money, can radically change someone else's life. And if you spend it the right way, uh, there's there's a dividend that doesn't get paid in cash. It gets paid in feeling good and just building a world around you where people don't want to break into your house. People don't want to you know, come in front. They don't want to leave their, their hometown and go somewhere else. And I, I just fundamentally believe that if we are going to build a world where my kids want to have kids, <laughs> you have to have a world full of people who are generally pretty happy. Because if you have a world full of starving, hungry, angry people, it, it's not the kind of world anyone wants to live in. And if, if you're in a position to listen to Bulletproof Radio, that means you're already incredibly wealthy. Because you have a device capable of downloading this. Right? Because you have the time to listen to it. <laughs> like compared to billions of people on the planet, you are so freaking lucky. So if you can spend a dollar you are already <laughs> going to spend in a better way that helps another person like that, rather than you know, some giant faceless uh, you know, military industrial complex thing, I make those decisions every day. Uh, and I, I do that very consciously. I support a local business whenever I can uh, support small businesses because it actually makes a difference and it doesn't cost me anything. That's it. And then, you know, there's credit unions and banks that'll do the same where you could bank and support those guys and they'll lend to those guys. So they'll help the local guy 
get his business scaled and do these things. And it just, it ripples from there. There's this whole cycle of goodness that comes from doing the right thing. Um, and, and another big piece we cover in the movies is like, there's also these like amazing kind of enterprises that are coming with people who are generating, you know, vast fortunes that I frankly think they deserve because they're, they're tackling global problems, right? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm so happy Elon Musk is making money, right? Because he's turning everything around uh, and basically moving us off of petroleum and our car fleets faster than any, and Detroit yeah. ever did, right? And so I, I think that there should be value assigned to our values. And so as we line up our values with our monetary value, it's like, look, you know what? Uh, in the next 20 years, what can we do to radically transform these five areas. Okay. Yep. Go get it. Right. And you deserve, like you, you, you should deserve to be a billionaire if you solved a world problem like that. And so, you know, there's also this real kind of cutting up the pie. Everyone's thinking like, you know, there's not enough money to go around. None of that is true. You know, money and it is a store of value, whether it's us dollars or some cryptocurrency or, you know, trading chickens. Right. Um, and so if someone perceives value in what you're, what you're offering, they will give you something of value to you and generate wealth for you. And that wealth goes around. And so, you know, I, I think the whole idea of money has been kind of corrupted, too, because it's like, oh, well, bad people make money and they ruin the planet with it. Uh, I think I think that that's been um, a challenge because uh, most good people then have sat on the sidelines watching the sociopaths rise to the top. And so we all should be in an economy because that's how everything is exchanged and we should all be vibrant parts of the economy. And I love the fact that Bulletproof is doing well because I love what you're doing and I love that you're supporting the rainforests. And you know what I'm saying? It's like it's a good thing for the planet. And I think we just need to reframe on that. And that was partially, um, you know, another reason why. One I of the moving. things that I, I really value is that people perform better and they feel better when the environment is clean. So like there's an inherent self-interest mm. in this and and one of the reasons that I I started selling products at Bulletproof, you know, I, I could have been, I'm just going to write books and, and been relatively, uh, relatively comfortable is that if you want to have a big microphone to create big change, you pay for the big microphone and there's got to be some way to fund it. So uh, there aren't a lot of uh, coffee companies who, you know, create documentaries or uh, just create masses of content and things like that. And it would be a lot easier to take that, throw it to the bottom line, return it to investors or whatever else. But it's like, no, that's, that's our mission here. Uh, and I, I can't imagine doing one without the other because you don't create change the way you want to change it. And it, it's just a mindset. But the happiest entrepreneurs, and we hang out with a lot of the same people, the happiest entrepreneurs that you and I both know are the ones who are making a difference, not the ones who are making the most money. And, and I think that that's yep. just something to, to be aware of. And if you're listening to the show and you are an entrepreneur or you work for an entrepreneur or you work for a big company, uh, it, it really comes down to, you know, what, what good are you achieving uh, rather than how much money are you making? And that's, that's a measure of, of real prosperity. Mm -hmm. And I think the guys you're interviewing in the movie, they got that. Whether they were born with it, their parents taught them, they, they stumbled on it. Uh, somehow they figured that out and, uh, the, the truth, at least as I've experienced it, is that when you tap into that, it's a lot easier to make money uh, and, and it's less of a struggle and you like your life when you're doing that, even if you make less or maybe you'll make more and you'll probably make more. So that, that's why I, I think mm -hmm. prosperity mm -hmm. is going to be a really cool, really cool uh, documentary for people to watch. And also just the idea, that, all right, what are some concrete things you can do uh, to put your money in a place where it was going to sit somewhere anyway. It might as well do good while it's there instead of do harm. And, and I, totally. I very much support that that vision. 
And I've, I've had my team, a uh, pretty big team for the last eight months researching and vetting a lot of these things to provide tools for people afterwards. Cause it's not just, you know, like I talk is cheap. It's like, yeah. Hey, check it out. Like I've actually moved my money to this bank and this is why, like the, this is, this is where I'm making a difference and it didn't take any more effort than what I already had going on. And now, you know, I don't have to feed the big bad bank. I don't, you know, there's a lot of reasons so to I, what we do. Here. I, we're coming up on the end of the interview, but I've got to ask you, are you concerned about like big bad banks, you know, dropping a piano on your house or something? I mean, you're, you're sort of tangling with some of the, <laughs> some of the big dogs here, bedroom. Mm. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're going to, if you're living your life in a way where you're, um, not scared in some way about the impact that you're making, you're probably not pushing hard enough. Um, you know what I mean? And, and it's just, we have big problems that all of us want to solve. There's a select few that are trying to maintain a status quo and this kind of sociopath energy of like, you know, just make money for money's sake has become a tumor. Right. And so it's time to excise that tumor, not by like going after the tumor. Um, you know, I think Mother Teresa said this best. And she's like, I won't go to an anti-war rally, but I will go to I a pro-peace one. So I'm not right. Like I'm 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 here to just put my cameras on people that are just doing things in an awesome way that I feel good about. And like my viewers feel good about. And it's just like, yeah, I'm with those guys. Right. And then everyone else changes their way so fast. You're seeing this in every industry. They're like trying to gobble up all these like organic CPG companies and stuff. And at first they just take them and be like, okay, now you're Coca-Cola again. Um, And then they realize that these organic companies with these cultures, these purpose driven companies with these supply chains actually performed better. And so they're like, why don't we just leave them alone? And what's happening is there's this kind of like uplink of, of viral DNA from the good guys going into like these big companies. So it's just like for all of them, from Procter and Gamble, Kraft, you know, Unilever, all of them are starting to like really change their ways because they're like, oh, wow, everything's different. And if you look at the demographic change, the greatest transfer of wealth is happening right now between baby boomers and their wives who are, you know, surviving them and their millennial children and grandchildren. So it's millennials and women that are inheriting the, 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 the vast value on the planet. And they just have a very different value set. And so these companies are freaking out going, Oh man, we got to care. How do we do <laughs> that? So cool. It's definitely happening. All right, Pedro. I've it's asked you this question before because you've been on the radio show before, but what I've found is that when I interview someone more than once, after they've worked on a new project and usually people come back on the show when, when they've completed a, a new chapter in, in their life, a new book, a, a new big achievement. So we can talk about that. Uh, and oftentimes their answers change. And I, I want to see if yours has changed. So if someone came to you tomorrow, I know you won't remember what you said last time, unless you have an incredible monk mind that I don't think you have. So exactly. Yeah, young exactly. kids. Man, so if someone much. came to you tomorrow and said, Hey, Pedro, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, you know, not just my work, not just my sport, but just at being a human. Uh, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for them? Now that you've done prosperity, now that you've read the art of stopping time and, and you've lived what you've lived with you know, new kids in the last couple of years, uh, what, what's your answer today? Three most important things. <sighs> gratitude in the morning. Practice gratitude. First thing you do, it, it changes everything. Stop time multiple times throughout the day and catch your breath. And just make sure you're not walking off in a direction that's not aligned with uh, where you choose to be. And then think about you, you yourself on your deathbed looking back. 
is the time you're spending right now doing what you're doing right now something that you're going to be proud of and happy about? Or do you need to cut this crap right now and move on to where you're supposed to be? Beautiful. Well, Padram, uh, your two new projects are The Art of Stopping Time, available in bookstores wherever books are sold, at least I'm guessing as much. And Prosperity, your new documentary. Yep. Where is Prosperity available? Prosperityfilm.com. It's in theaters. Uh, it's in theaters all over the country. It's probably going to be all over the world, but we're going to do a, a global online free screening of it in the month of October. And so I'm very excited to, you know, we've spent all this money on the movie and we're making it free because it's that important to share it um, through the month of October. That, and that's at that's so cool. Com. Um, I just made Moldy, the one documentary that I did. By the way, uh, for, for listeners, uh, you probably have heard me talk about Moldy, but what you don't know is that Pedro is one of the first guys I called when I'm like, I'm going to go do a documentary and I have no idea what I'm doing. And so Pedro gave me some guidance <laughs> about how to do a good documentary, uh, which was really helpful. So thank you for that, that Pedro and prosperityfilm.com at theaters everywhere. And, uh, what brought that into mind was that, um, because of the, the floods that are happening with the hurricanes right now, I made moldy free for a while as well, just because it's like I want people whose houses have been flooded by water uh, to get access to the information because it matters, just because the info matters. And so I, I admire that you made the same thing, even with a new launch, even though it's going to be in theaters to offer it to people uh, so they can just watch it and learn and then change their behavior uh, in ways that they see fit. Like I, that's, you know, the it's a tough decision for a filmmaker to make because it costs a lot of money to make a film way more than I ever imagined and way more time and energy. In fact, it might be harder to make a film than it is to write a book uh, because you have a camera crew and, and time is less flexible because you know, you're, you're paying for all that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's a, uh, it's a great gift that you're giving that away for free, uh, having understood what goes into that. And so thank you for doing that. Prosperityfilm.com and Art of Stopping Time are your two new projects. Anywhere else you want people to go to learn more about your work? Um, so theurbanmonk.com is where uh, I do all my kind of esoteric stuff. And well.org is where I'm the founder and CEO. And we do a lot of health and wellness slash conscious capitalism content. So um, they're all, they're all my neighborhoods. Well, I look forward to having you on again probably another year or so when you've done some other big new project. You're always coming up with something new, Pedram. Thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Always a pleasure. I'm honored. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Uh, head on over to your favorite place to buy books and pick up a copy of this. Watch the film uh, at prosperityfilms.com. And while you're at it, if you buy the book and you like it, head on over to Amazon, take 20, 30 seconds of your time and leave a review. One of the things that you can do that just makes a huge difference for an author is just take that time, express a little bit of gratitude for the thousands of hours that go into putting together something like this, it literally takes you that much time to say thanks. And authors like Pedram and like me, we read those reviews, we see them, and we track them on a daily basis because they're one of the things that tell us that, that what we did worked or didn't work. And it also tells everyone else that it was worth their time to do it. So please leave a review for Pedram and for me if you feel like it when you do that. And there's nothing stopping you from going to bulletproof.com slash iTunes to get a link to this show. So you can say, hey, I like this show. I'm going to leave a review for that as well. So reviews are one of the, the easiest forms of currency that you have to express gratitude. And man, I'm grateful if you decide to do that for Pedram or for me or anyone else who's been on the show. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.